The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. Before we get to the main segment of the show, I would like to take a moment to honor my former boss, Virginia Senator John Warner, who passed away last week at the age of 94. Senator Warner was a giant in the Senate, known for his bipartisanship, his ability to reach across the aisle to help negotiate solutions to tough problems, and his commitment to taking and tackling the issues that face the country. His long career was marked with too many accomplishments to name. Working for him was one of the greatest honors of my life. When I left the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee staff in 2002, I said to myself that I would only go back to work in the Senate for a handful of people. Senator Warner was one of those I had identified. So fast forward to 2007, when the job opportunity was offered to me unexpectedly, I leaped at the chance. I knew I'd be staffing his his environmental issues portfolio, but had no idea at the time that he'd want to go all in on a climate change bill with then-Senator Joe Lieberman. The two years I worked for Senator Warner were a wild ride and one that I will never forget. I made so many friends. I feel like it was really the launch pad for the work that I do today. You can read my full tribute to Senator Warner on the RepublicEN.org blog page, which I will link in the show notes. Today's guest is George Gemelis, a friend of the EcoRight who just graduated with a Master of Environmental Management degree from the Yale School of the Environment. He is a contributor to Young Voices and is also a co-founder and the executive vice president of Students for Carbon Dividends, a national bipartisan climate nonprofit, which you should be familiar with if you are a listener of the show. We previously had Alex Posner on as one of our early guests in season one. Students for Carbon Dividends is a big friend and ally to RepublicEN.org. And I'm so happy to bring George on. He is broadly focused on helping find common ground across the aisle on clean energy solutions. And his latest op-eds were what inspired me to invite him to be on the show. Before we turn to my conversation with George, here is a word from our newest summer intern, Justin Williams. My name is Justin Williams, and I'm a summer intern for RepublicEN.org. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, and attend Duke University, majoring in public policy. I sought an opportunity to work with RepublicEN.org because I think that climate change is a pressing issue that affects people of all political preferences, and I look forward to doing my part for the eco right. Welcome back, listeners. As promised, I'm here with a good friend of the eco right. George Gemelis. He's live from Indiana, where he just moved upon graduating from the Yale School of the Environment. Congratulations, George, on finishing your master's degree. Thanks so much, and thanks so much for having me. I know that here at Republic EN, we are big fans of yours and big fans of Students for Carbon Dividends and 
So I was inspired to invite you to join us for the program because twice in about a month time, you were published with an op-ed, which one is super significant. I know as somebody who's always pitching op-eds for our spokespeople, it's so hard to get your pieces accepted. So congratulations on that. But also you just have your finger on the pulse on two really important issues or, or themes, I guess I should say, to the work that we're collectively trying to do. And I thought that we could talk about those things. Absolutely. So um, listeners, I will link George's op-eds in the show notes. But the first one I wanted to talk about was in Real Clear Energy back in April, you wrote a a really thoughtful piece about bipartisanship. And I just wanted to re-quote you to you and read you my favorite quote from the piece, which is that we must remember America's climate response is a relay race. It demands hustle, but also smooth baton passing from one political administration to the next. Our race against time is one we can win, but only if we pave the pathways critical for long-term coordination. We like to say here in Washington that it's a marathon, not a sprint. But I think we need to run a little faster than marathon pace. Would you agree? I think we should move quickly. And yeah, <laughs> maybe we need to run the marathon at sprint pace. <laughs> yeah, I'll be running a marathon quickly. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> so what does I, I know that the word bipartisanship has pros and cons associated with it. And a Pew study, I believe this was maybe it was several years ago that the Pew um, Research Center did a study that showed that the American public is skeptical when they see something as bipartisan because they think it means watered down or weakened, that both sides kind of capitulated and that the final result is not as strong. But I see bipartisanship really differently. And so I'm sort of curious, you're a younger generation, you are the next generation of leaders, the next generation, the generation that I have my hopes pinned on. So what does bipartisanship mean to you? Speak, speak for your peers. We'll let you speak for your generation. Well, I don't know if I can quite do that, but I'll, I'll take a stab. I think people um, of my generation were born in, or came into, I think, political being in a hyper-polarized time. Um, and I think regardless of your political lean, I think you can see how, I think, obstruction or, or delay can really... Um, uh, prevent us from solving problems that all Americans face. One of those problems is climate. Um, there is an, an incredible opportunity that we as Americans have to solve the problem, but it will require sort of a sustained effort. Between now and, and 2050, there will be at least four presidents. Um, there will be 15 different Congresses. Um, and climate change, just given its, its scale, will require us to uh, sustain an effort to, to drive down emissions and tackle the problem. And so any, any uh, effort that is hinged on one party rule is doomed to fail, I would say. Um, and this is why bipartisanship is so important. Uh, we, as I think young people recognize that, you know, there's, there's no quick fix to some of the problems that our generation faces. And again, chief among them is climate. Um, and so I think there's a real appetite among us young people to um, make sure that we have solutions that are environmentally sufficient and politically viable. And bipartisanship is really critical for, you know, the, the long-term success of any American climate effort. 
Right. I mean, the durability component is is really important. And as you note in your op-ed, um, President Obama, for example, um, t- you know, his attempt to tackle climate change came through regulation, which was by a next administration, the last administration overturned. And so it you don't have that durability if the baton isn't being passed, to go back to your quote, are are there certain members that you um, look to to kind of certain members of Congress, I should say, to be good examples on how bipartisan cooperation can work? Absolutely. I think uh, my own senator, Senator Mike Braun, is somebody who I um, look up to immensely on this topic. Two years ago, when he came into Congress as a senator, uh, he immediately jumped into the climate uh, debate. Um, he said, uh, he, I think he was looking on his side of our side of the aisle and, um, and said, well, you know, what are we doing on this? Um, you know, this is basic chemistry and basic physics. And if we're not on the game, we're on the menu. So I think the uh, Senator Braun, alongside Senator Chris Coons, um, started the bipartisan Climate Solutions Caucus in the Senate, which now has seven Democrats and seven Republicans, all of whom are, are committed to actually solving the, the climate challenge that we have and um, you know, looking for common sense solutions. And I think what distinguishes Senator Braun's um, approach is that he's, yes, looking to you know, drive down emissions and solve the problem, but also make sure that other very important considerations like creating jobs um, and protecting you know, our economy are in the conversation. Um, and I think his caucus and what they've done in the past uh, two years is a testament to that They've met with CEOs, they've met with farmers, they've met with entrepreneurs, uh, you know, people who are trying to sequester carbon out of thin air and put it into rock. These are amazing things. And I'm really glad that Senator Braun and his peers are having these very serious conversations and sort of hammering out uh, the details for any policies to come. Did it surprise you when Senator Braun took this position? Because I I felt like I was surprised just sort of looking at him as a senator from Indiana, which is one of the most conservative states in the union, self-professed conservative states from a poll that I read. And so it really struck me that here he is, the new guy, um, untested, and he just went for it. I think um, if you look at Senator Braun's past, I actually think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think he owns... um, quite a number of acres down in Jasper, Indiana, where he's built his business and grown up. I think he's very proud of sort of the sort of natural landscape that he sort of presides over. Um, If you talk to him, I think he says he's a lifelong conservationist. He was sort of, I think, president of the ecology club in high school. So in many ways for him, this is, I think, a natural step. I I would agree with you. I think it was surprising to me because um, at least when I was growing up, climate was not necessarily a a forefront issue for us Hoosiers. But I think that actually has rapidly changed because of Senator Braun's leadership. There's been a lot, I've had a lot of conversations with college Republicans here in the state. And I think um, a lot of us really feel that, you know, we need to do something on this climate issue. And the, you know, Senator Braun has sort of um, opened the door for the conversation to be had so we can, you know, stake out a position where we can build, you know, clean energy jobs. We can figure out what is the next generation of clean technologies and manufacture them here in our state, which is very manufacturing based. 
Is there, I know there is a generational divide nationally when it comes to climate change. Would you say that that is even more so in a state like Indiana? And and I'll just preface or, or, or say that to, to that point, I, and I believe I've shared this story on the podcast before. So my mom grew up in Indiana. She's actually from Latvia, but grew up in Indiana. And my grandfather had a, one of those manufacturing jobs that you talked about. And my aunt and uncle still live there in the t- one town over from where my mom grew up. And I saw my aunt at a wedding probably about 10 years ago. And she came up to me and said, oh, Chelsea, and my mom wasn't at the wedding. I heard that uh, from your mom that you're trying to stop climate change. And I said, yes. She's like, well, why are you trying to ruin our summers? We're having great summers. And I said, well, I'm not trying to ruin anyone's summer, right? But I may be trying to save your agriculture industry. She's like, oh, no, our corn has never been better. And then I just had this moment, right? We're like, I'm at a wedding. It's a family member. I'm not going to get in a debate. But wow, even this person in my own family isn't really taking climate change seriously. She's obviously coming from an older generation. Do you think that that the more up and coming sort of your generation, young millennials are more prone to support what Senator Braun is doing and to be eager to see this kind of um, solution speak? I definitely think the national polling shows that young people disproportionately support climate action as compared to their older counterparts. And I think that uh, occurs on on both sides of the aisle. And I think it's most notable right side of the aisle. Um, In Indiana, I would say this divide does exist as well. And I'm actually quite hopeful um, that because of, you know, the leadership of Senator Braun and also the conversation that I'm having and my friends sort of in the college Republicans world here in Indiana are having with people I think really, um, you know, the way the discussion goes is that this is an opportunity for agriculture to get in the game, uh, this being, you know, climate action. This is an opportunity for us to bring in new jobs. Um, Actually, I just saw in Indiana, uh, Toyota just put down a $750 million investment to make EVs, um, electric vehicles in the state. Um, The largest carbon sequestration facility is going to be here in Indiana. I think there we have a lot of strengths in the state, and we can play to those strengths um, in, in, in tackling this issue. All we need, though, is to have a conversation about how to put uh, env- environment and economy together. Well, I think that's the right conversation to have, and I'd love to pivot for a second to agriculture, because as you know and noted in your op-ed, um, Senator Braun is an original co-sponsor and, and the prime champion for the Growing Climate Solutions Act his effort to engage the agriculture community, which is a really important part of the puzzle. You know, we we don't want to be in a position where we're scrambling to fix what climate has broken when it comes to agriculture. But I also think that farmers, you know, they need to own the solution. They need to feel like they're part of the solution and not part of just part of the problem, which I think is kind of how they've been treated. Yeah, I'm very happy uh, for the Growing Climate Solutions Act. You know, I at the Yale School of the Environment, there's a lot of discussion among, um, I think, the, the foresters in particular, those who are getting masters of forestry, about the incredible potential that soils can bring to, the, to solving climate. And, you know, if you are a good steward of any agricultural soil or any forest soil, it can sequester more carbon than, than before. And I think 
those practices are being implemented. And what this legislation does, from what I understand, is help to establish those best practices and help publicize them and also incentivize uh, farmers who may want to implement them with with, uh, some sort of credit. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Um, do you think so? This I feel like this was um, Senator Braun's kind of first step toward cl- a climate solution, right? And and we're also impatient. So I remember when he and Coons created the the Climate Solutions Caucus and everyone and and looking at how the House Climate Solutions Caucus, which was much bigger, wasn't really able to come together and do something. Well, they did. I mean, the Senate version did. And so do you think that we can use this as like a stepping stone to get Senator Braun to support putting a price on carbon? I think Senator Braun, as the co-chair of this caucus, is very interested in you know solving the problem. Agriculture, um, just given uh, Indiana's deep um, tradition of agriculture and America's deep tradition of agriculture, it seems like a great first base to get to. Um, I know, I think he's interested in, in other things. If you look at the record of meetings that the caucus has had, you know, they've met with all sorts of innovators. They've met with, um, you know, people who are trying to drive down aviation emissions. They're trying to, they've met with people who are, you know, the, I think the CEO climate dialogue in the, in the business roundtable. So they're, they're clearly going to be coming out with more things as they collaborate with these important players. And um, I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful that Senator Braun has been able to put together you know, environmentalists and businesses into the same room and really be, be serious about solving this problem in a smart way. Do you think that he can change the minds of some older Indianans, like my aunt, for example? Yeah, I think uh, messenger is key. And I think Senator Braun, you know, he doesn't come at this issue like, uh, you know, a more activist person on, on the left. He comes at, at this issue from, you know, a common sense uh, perspective. You know, he says this is, again, basic chemistry and basic physics. And I would also think he would say this is about dollars and cents. There's clear economic opportunity. You know, the the future, there's, I think, not only in this country will be clean, but around the world. And I think, actually, if America generates the next generation of technologies, um, we can export those technologies to many other parts of the world, which will lead to economic growth right here in the States. We need that to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. So, George, I am a big fan. You know, we've talked a lot about Senator Braun, but like my one of my favorite Hoosiers is Mayor Brainerd from Carmel, Indiana. He was on the show um, earlier this year. And I'm wondering if you know of him, know him. I don't know where you're from compared to where, um, where Carmel is, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, uh, well, I actually uh, grew up in Carmel area. Um, I was um, I went to Carmel High School, which is the high school of you know the the city. Um, mayor Brainerd has been mayor for a while, and actually, um, I had the pleasure of co-founding the Carmel Mayor's Youth Council um, when I was in high school, and so I got to work closely with him and sort of my peers who were in high school who also wanted to get involved in civil service. In my in my time 
uh, growing up, I've seen Kamal sort of really emerge as a, I think, economic hub. And uh, one of the things that I think has contributed to that is, in addition to sort of the job opportunities, is sort of the quality of life and um, or w- with the natural environment being a priority. So at the very local level, what Mayor Brainerd has done is um, increase urban forestry um, and tree cover and, and um, has prioritized making parks available to the whole community. And that has really, I think, drawn in a lot of people and, and contributed to the fact that I think Cromwell has really been put on the map um, in, the, in the state. He's definitely put the, the city on the map. And one thing I remember from our conversation, which listeners, I will link that, uh, that podcast episode in the show notes because it's a really interesting one. You know, he was, he's been mayor since the 90s, right? He was probably mayor before you were born. He inherited not only, I mean, he oversaw, not inherited, he oversaw a great period of growth in the city. And one thing he's so committed to is wanting to have that kind of walkable, bikeable, livable city. So not someplace where you just have to get in the car to drive everywhere. I was just in San Antonio with my son finishing, you know, picking him up from school. And literally you're going like a mile in San Antonio. You have to like you have to get on the highway to go anywhere in that city. And he didn't want that. Right. And so he really presided over, you know, we we throw around the term smart growth, but but he did it the right way between his um his roundabouts, I learned from him not to call them rotaries, his roundabouts. But to what you're saying about tree canopy, he, and you can probably attest to this, he talked about a major thoroughfare through the city that they reduced the number of lanes and put a canopy of trees kind of in the median between the two sides. And traffic is better, not worse. So normally we think of of needing to expand roads, right, to accommodate traffic. But when you expand roads, you often expand the volume as well. So I don't know. I, I, I don't have an actual visual, but I have a visual in my mind of what that looks like. And you probably know exactly where I'm talking about. Exactly. Well, that is super exciting that you, that you know of him. And so are you going to, con- I, I think you need to do some outreach with him now that you're back. Um, I, I look forward to reconnecting with him. And um, one thing that I will mention that is um, like Senator Braun, I think um, Mayor Brainerd often recalls the time where the GOP really had environmental concerns at the forefront of the party agenda. You know, what the uh, one of the first EPA administrators was Bill Ruckelshaus, who's a Hoosier um, and he, a Republican. You know, the GOP has a very strong tradition of environmental action. I think, as you detail on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both Senator Braun and Mayor Brainerd have that in their mind and in their heart as something to get back to. And I think that's what we're doing. And I'm excited to see that come to uh, full fruition. Well, since my aunt is not listening to this podcast, I will say Senator Braun and Mayor Brainerd, two of my favorite Hoosiers, and now you are my third. You're in the top three. I won't put you guys in any order, but... Um, oh, that's great. so nice. George, you just graduated, as we noted at the beginning of the of the segment, and you have moved back to Indiana. So what is next for you? Where do you intend to be focusing your efforts? I know you'll still be um, working and running the Students for Carbon Dividends, but what what do you what are you going to do back home in Indiana? Yeah, well, one of the benefits of remote work mm-hmm. is that I can do it from right here in Westfield, Indiana. I'm very uh, happy to be back 
with my family here. And um, I'll be, yes, uh, continuing with students for carbon dividends and, you know, building support for the carbon dividends solution. And uh, I think on the side, it'll be very, very fun to have more time to go around the state and sort of see what these uh, new, I think, manufacturing facilities look like. I know Ford and GM and Toyota are all building EVs. And I think, you know, the, the Midwest is, a, is the heart of, I think, America's auto uh, industry. You know, George, as you're doing that, I think it would be really fascinating to get sort of some like on the ground updates from you, right? On what you're seeing. It could be as simple as you get home and record some thoughts or we can have you back on the show or you do something that you think is worthy of our listeners hearing about, definitely reach out because it's that kind of momentum and movement that you're right it's dollars and cents i mean for some of us it's also the environment and what kind of place we want to leave for our kids and but it's you know i think to get the momentum that we need we do need to make it an economic issue and so where we're seeing things like that i think it's really helpful and moves it definitely moves the needle so i'd love to have some little like kind of edgy on the ground reporting from you absolutely i'd love to do that oh yes <laughs> Well, again, our most hearty congratulations for finishing your degree. And, you know, these times are so strange. And I know a lot of people have been taking time off. And um, I'm glad to see that, that you powered through and really looking forward to continuing our um, relationship. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. it's june can you believe it time flies when you're having fun chelsea henderson or when you're not going anywhere (laughs) or when you are not going anywhere i went somewhere last week home this week going somewhere this coming week or i should say this week as listeners are hearing this dropping on tuesday Um, yes you will be like out on out camping and i won't be able to reach you and i won't need to reach you anyway. It'll all be good. But, um, you know, I have to say having that week off when you were gone last time really like sort of threw me off. I'm just in such the like Tuesday's podcast day groove that having like this week, not having an episode drop, which listeners, I really mean last week, not having an episode drop really kind of threw me off. Yep. It, uh, when you're used to doing it like we are every week and recording and getting all the pieces of the puzzle put together, um, and that doesn't happen, you have, you know, you're not doing it all. It just, it, yeah, it does throw you off a little bit. And, you know, we will throw you off and our listeners maybe a little bit. Uh, we'll give them a heads up because I know we will take a, a brief break around the 4th of July. Um, we will take another brief week yes. week hiatus um you know to celebrate independence day and with people going here there everywhere so just stay tuned we will keep you posted on on recording schedule and when you'll hear new episodes which you will hear a new episode next week even though i am technically out on vacation this week we will uh, have one another one for you next week and i guess now would be a great time to tease a guest chels okay so price get this June 15th, so next episode, is our one-year podcast anniversary, Or maybe it's a pod birthday. Whatever it is, June 15th will mark one year to our first episode. 
and I wanted to do something a little bit special. So we are going to talk to Katrina Rourke, longtime friend of the EcoRight, an OG from Bob's office back when he was working on the Hill and had his climate epiphany, was around for the Rage Raise Wages Cut Carbon Act, the original carbon tax bill that Bob introduced. And she is now over at the Climate Leadership Council, and they just um, released a very interesting case study showing that a carbon dividend would benefit the American steel industry. So we'll be talking to her about that latest report, but also reminiscing a little bit about her time with Bob all those years ago that sort of set in motion where he is today. I remember the day almost that Katrina Rourke started in our office and she was a NOAA fellow and it quickly turned into hey she's going to be ours basically permanently and she was a, a fixture <laughs> you know in our staff and you know worked with uh, Garth Van Meter who was our legislative director you know on that bill but she was yeah, the primary architect of the Raise Wage and Carbon Act of 2009 and you know certainly we worked hand in hand on you know, uh, palm cards and info sheets and all the different things that uh, came with that bill and the exciting time it was for our office um, that obviously politically it led to uh, led to some uh, wrist slap later on. But, yeah, Katrina is a, a great friend and somebody that is a, a longtime friend, certainly of, of Bob in the congressional office and doing fantastic work now. Um you know, w- with her current work in her current role, and it's just um, it's just amazing to see um, you know all the stuff that she is involved with, especially uh, that new report that they came out with. Um, how wait was it two weeks ago? It was oh. the twenty fifth of May was the drop date. So um, I don't even we're in June now. The time is flying. It's crazy, but. Yeah, so it's been out there since right before Memorial Day and look forward to hearing more from her about the specifics. And like you said, just it's always fun when you can have somebody on who you you go way back with. And I don't personally go way back with her, but I know all you on the team do. And so I'm excited to have that conversation. Yes, Vice President for Policy at the Climate Leadership Council. And one thing I want to share with you right now very quickly, some new members Uh, of Republican who have signed on in the last week, Sharon G. Kentucky, Bryant S. in North Carolina, Joseph C. in New Jersey, Stephen R. in Maine, John C. in New York. And if you want to stand with us, we would love for you to do so. It does not take long. Republican.org forward slash join. Please stand with us. Chelsea, I'm excited to hear Katrina next week, and I really wish I could be a part of that conversation that you and Bob will have with her to uh, to kind of you know go back and reminisce a little bit. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, well, I can't wait for you to hear it. And until then, I'm wishing you a wonderful vacation. I hope you and your family really get to check out, tune out, turn off your phones. Maybe you don't even get Wi-Fi. That would be ideal. And we will hold down the ship. And then you're going to come back and I might take off for a couple of days. Who knows? <laughs> there you go. Well, thanks for everybody for downloading, listening, subscribing, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the two main places where you can get it. Also on our website, republican.org forward slash podcast. A new episode coming to you every Tuesday. And until next Tuesday, we will talk to you then, Jels. Bye-bye, Price. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.